Hello and welcome again to the Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. Uh, as always, we are your hosts, Alex, John, and Garrett this evening. Jeremy is going to be out. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Adepticon Part 2 preview that happened just last weekend. And uh, we are also going to be talking a little bit about uh, deployment in this uh, quarantine era. Of course, not a lot of us are playing games. So now's a good time for us to kind of sit back and review some missions in the game and really kind of talk about what we might want to do in certain deployments. And so we got a couple of different missions today. And uh, as always, we definitely want to find out what's on the workbench, especially with, uh, you know, John right there pouring something real nice. John, what was that? That, my friend, is a little bit of the Bale Venny double wood, a little 12-year scotch, uh, matured in two distinct casts. Now, this one, we're lucky that our friend uh, Jeremy is not with us tonight, because this is the one where last time I pulled this out, you'll remember he pulled out the 14-year when I had the 12-year out. You know, he was like, oh, I just got a, uh, I guess, two-upsman you when you do you do that. Uh, so I hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, I hope you're surviving the next week of stay at home, stay in shelter. I know uh, the wife and I have gone a little stir-crazy and then a little beyond stir-crazy. Uh, it's okay. Uh, my cat and dog are keeping me wonderful company. Uh, so it's, it's almost like we're around real people. Uh, we got out for some good walks and stuff like that. But I have been uh, a hobby maniac uh, this entire week. I've been painting like a madman. I got a bunch of my Primaris Army uh, painted. I actually decided, right, that it would be embarrassing for me to go through this entire, uh, for me, it's going to end up being uh, like six, seven week shut in. Uh, without having like knocked through a substantial amount of my backlog. So my first goal is to get the entire Primaris army painted. I've got all the foot dudes painted. Now I'm going to do the vehicles next. And then after that, I'm going to dig into the rest of my Nurgle army. And uh, we have to stay inside long enough. We'll see. You know, in the previous episodes, as stuff have happened, I've been just be able to reach off screen here and just grab like box after box of unbuilt kits. But if we get stuck in, inside much longer that is not going to be happening. Now, besides that, um, I've actually been playing a little bit of Blood Bowl 2 League on uh, Steam. Uh, our good buddy Michael Birch uh, set up the league with a bunch of uh, uh, local Bay Area guys, as well as Garrett. Garrett's been uh, smashing face in our local league. Uh, I've got four games in with my Skaven, a uh, game against Mr. Josh Harvey and his Amazonians. Uh, Garrett with his elf union, you dirty, dirty elves, you. Uh, Mr. Russell Worsnip with his chaos dwarves. And just earlier today, I played uh, Spencer Mashkuri with his undead. Um, I don't know if Skaven suck or if I suck at undead uh, Blood Bowl 2. Maybe a little bit of both, but uh, I have yet to go through a game uh, where I haven't had to use an apothecary to save one of my players from being killed. Uh, and a couple of times I've used the apothecary and then my players got killed later on anyway. So uh, through casualties and bashing, it's been pretty amazing. Uh, I have a new disrespect for rat ogres uh, as mine <laughs> most of the time just stands there and growls at me and occasionally uh, flops on the ground and throws a tantrum. Uh, refusing to tackle the other players. So uh, Blood Bowl, uh, good fun in the old, uh, you know, sort of old world or alternate world that it is. Uh, and that, 
uh, is about all that's been up. Other than that, I got all these notes all over here because uh, we've been talking uh, computers and computer builds off the side. Uh, we'll If this was a 40K podcast, I think it would be appropriate for us to talk about unguents and praying to the Omnissiah. Uh, and maybe we could talk tech specs, but here in Age of Sigmar, anything above an abacus and it's out of control. So uh, my friend Garrett, uh, with the fine Middle Earth uh, mural in the background there, what are you up to, my friend? Uh, well, I'm sitting here with a uh, craft cider I grabbed from the store. It's the 1911 uh, small batch craft cider. And this Ooh, nice. is a raspberry cider. Uh, it's brewed somewhere in New York. Uh, it's a really cool label, was a fan. Um, actually quite tasty. Uh, I also grabbed their original flavor, and I think they have a nice blend of different apples uh, from up in New York. And it actually is, uh, it's, it's, it's nice and dry, not too sweet, and uh, good, just a nice, good, solid cider. Mm. Sounds nice. Uh, uh, so for me, well, uh, Mountain Blade is still out. So um, I'm still playing Mountain Blade uh, Bannerlord. Wait, wait, uh, wait, I saw that it was an early release, though. It, it's in early access. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. So I, I put I mean, my eye on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for people who are interested, um, if you are not a diehard Mountain Blade fan, it is a game that is most definitely in early access. There are missing features. There are bugs. Uh, they've released a patch every day since release. Um, so, but I'm having a blast because I like I've logged many many hours into Mountain Blade Warband, and it's just really really refreshing to get a modern take on the game. Uh, definitely noticing all the missing features and like wish like oh I wish I could just do this like you could in Warband, and I'm like well obviously you can't because there's all these other things that I can do that you couldn't do in Warband, so they built all those features first. Um, Playing some Blood Bowl 2, as John mentioned. Um, I think my buddy Matt uh, summed it up best that Blood Bowl doesn't try to even... Uh, it doesn't even think it has balance in the game. It knows it's a completely unbalanced game. And you just go in and like do whatever you can. Uh, and to your question, is your team uh, bad? From my understanding, the stunty teams, like uh, Halflings and Skaven, tend to be worse. Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, so, they're like the, they're like the Rudies, I'm sure, right? Like, there's a, there's actually at uh, Blood Bowl tournaments. What happens is they give out different trophies for like you can try to win the Stunty Bowl. So you bring a Stunty team and you just try to be the best of the Stunty players. You know you're not going to win the event because you're wow. playing like the awful faction. So it's you and, getting like, your participation trophy. Yeah, but you're the best of your faction. The best of yours, of the worst. Like, the best of the worst. And then, like, so you you compete where you can compete. So uh, I guess I should have done a little research going in. But, uh, you know, of course, I had to play Skaven. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, pl- playing against you, that was a hilarious game. Uh, I think John I think John killed more of his own men than I did. Huh, that's um. Skaven fashion. <laughs> I don't uh, even – I've never played this game. I know nothing about its mechanics. I just assume. Yeah, it's uh, it's Age of Sigmar and football. Yeah, basically, um, it's 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 a beautiful salty game. You you, it's a love hate relationship. Um, I'm a fan. You just you can't take it seriously, yeah. or else the you're graphics you're wrong. are pretty good. I was impressed by yeah. all that. And and speaking of graphics, you know, you actually talked me into something that I've avoided for mm. for half a decade. I think at this point, 
And uh, old Garrett got me to download the tabletop simulator. Ooh, and yeah. uh, we went in, we played a game of Othello, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I easily haven't played in more than two <laughs> decades. Uh, and of course, he just dominated me there. But uh, even if I was playing every day, it might have been a challenge. I have a suspect that Garrett's pretty good at that game. Uh, I saw yeah. strategies and stuff. Uh, anyways, outside of that, um, I got motion sickness pretty instantly playing that game. Mm. Like within a minute to two minutes that we opened up Tabletop Simulator, uh, I was ready to hurl. Uh, but Garrett and I kind of worked through it. And we what we did was we took um, and created a background that was a white image and uploaded the white image as the background. So instead of there being a 3D environment, there's it was just a 3D table in front of us. And as soon as we did that, no problems. Um, and so since then, uh, I think you've actually been experimenting with some Age of Sigmar uh, tables and armies, right, Garrett? Yeah, so uh, I spent a good part of uh, last night. Part. Yeah, a good part. A, a good part. part. Uh, after after uh, we stopped hanging out last night, I spent a good like half hour to an hour downloading assets, playing around with them, looking up some tutorials and stuff. And uh, just before uh, the session tonight, I uh, was able to actually set up a table, set up the terrain the way I wanted to, and actually deployed my army and downloaded my army. And I got it all deployed. And so um, I started playing around with measuring and moving people. And because I'm, I, I, I kind of want I'm really itching to start rolling dice, and I'm like, screw it, let's do this tabletop simulator thing. I've been talking to a couple of buddies of mine. Yeah, I think I'm gonna try to play with. Uh, I think I'm gonna. Me and John might try to get a game in. We'll just throw up that white background, and uh, you know, maybe by next week we'll we'll get a game or two in, so we can try to actually execute some of the strategies we talk about. Oh, that'd be nice. I'd be nice. Uh, maybe we'll even record it, John, and uh, show people. We show could people what we it. do. Uh, yeah. We could throw it to my uh, YouTube or Twitch channel, all that good stuff. We could. So, very easy. So, yeah, outside of work, I've been uh, playing a lot of Bannerlord, um, hanging out with the wife, and uh, playing around with the Tabletop Simulator. Um, so not a lot of hobby stuff. I, I mean, I think Jeremy and Alex kind of hit on the head. Without the incentive of a tournament to, to go to, I just can't get myself to paint an army. And so it's just, it's really hard for me. I like. Really? I, and I, I tell you, that's, I, I guilted myself into some hobby action. Maybe you should try that. Like just, just start working on the guilt. Like, yeah, man, if I don't get something done while I'm shut in, like I'm just yeah, a loser I, at that point. I, I started with that and then I was like, or I could just play Mountain Blade where I could just play a fantasy RPG and just have fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, and I mean, that's the thing is also one of the things that's really hard for me right now is like as soon as we're all done with this who knows what like if my army is even going to be valid anymore and like is it going to be a good meta army am i going to have to completely shake things up am i going to switch back to my painted sylvanas should i go to my corn like i don't know where things are going to be when all this drops so it's kind of like i don't really want to put in a whole lot of effort into something that i'm just like not going to mm. use and well, like, I, don't know. I hear you man uh, though me I, i'm looking forward to my my new elf army Oh, are you, so you're actually gonna pick up the Lumineth? Uh, you know, every time I look at them, I like I like my, what I see more and more. So, well, before we get too deep into it, uh, Alex, uh, I know we have all been talking to you about uh, building a computer and stuff. But uh, what, what what do you got going on your workbench other than hammering a computer together? 
Yeah, well, the computer is hammering it out. Um, I got the motherboard on its way and the um, the video card. Uh, I pretty much have everything but the power supply that I've already chosen for myself, and I'll probably. Do you have out. a case? I have a case picked out. Okay. Yeah. So I have a lot of things and a lot of shopping carts. Nice. <laughs> um, but, but uh, uh, you know, kind of nailing down things. I wanted to double and triple check everything to see if I truly wanted it or not um, uh, in terms of all the other products, you know, comparatively. Like, you know, the GPU, for instance. I had something that I was right about to pull the trigger on. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, show's over, everyone. Good night. Have a good, have a good night. We're, we're done here. <laughs> Someone's gonna be very unhappy when they when they when they. If anybody this. is unaware, uh, that is our executive producer. Yes. Uh, in a wonderful photo taken. Oh God, is that like six years ago now? That's new Vince. Yeah, so that must yeah, be a six-year-old picture. It is. It is about six years old. Yeah. Uh, I think it might be four or five, actually, but we'll see. Um, yeah. that Sorry, means... I didn't mean to derail you. Like <laughs> no, that. no, not at all. Um, Girl, I'll take the pressure off. No, 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 no. it's fine. <laughs> Honestly, it's traumatic. Uh, but, <laughs> um, yeah, hey, he's, he's more than happy to join us. He's, he's not playing this game, but he'll, he'll someday, I'm sure. Um, so, so I got that all sorted out for the most part, and I really I do want to try – tabletop simulator once I get my computer up and running uh, because of the fact that I don't have any hobby projects right now. I mean, like if I truly wanted to do the kind of final 5% of my OBR army, I could, but I just don't want to right now. And I'm not going to be able to display board for the same reasons that we shared week and week again. Uh, quarantine doesn't really help with me wanting to get anything else painted. Um, so that's part of your, you're short of that one that one item, you guys are building your display board and you're like, oh, wait, I just need one more dowel. <laughs> exactly. So right now, um, my hobby, uh, what was on my workbench was constant check and double check because computers, computer parts are like a complete foreign language to me. So, you know, it's been like 15 to 20 years since I built a computer with my father as a kid. So like things have changed, things have changed a little, but enough for me to be like, I don't know what these numbers are now. Yeah. Um, I know what this, this, and this is in terms of this, you know, exact what it is, but I don't know anything else past that. Um, so, so, you know, you guys and Jeremy and a few others, you guys have been really, really helpful for me to figure this out. So thank you. Um, but Hopefully you're not suffering from too many cooks and too many input. No, really, actually, surprisingly, I haven't. <laughs> I that is actually, surprising. I was actually expecting that because I've hit up like eight, eight different people and for the most part, I haven't heard conflicting information. I've heard either neutral opinions or like distinct opinions that everyone else has agreed on, which is wonderful. Yeah, cool. um, but uh, on my workbench besides that, uh, I have some iced coffee and uh, some Pendleton uh, that I was going to put in there. So we'll... Add a little bit of Pendleton to that ice. Oh, oh, wait a second. The decanter is already empty? Yes, it is, sir. Oh, man. You are uh, you are sheltering in place a little harder than I am right now. <laughs> hey, man, you, getting ready for, you getting ready for that wedding, buddy? I mean, I'm going to have to. Uh, how, how is that Pendleton? Is it pretty good? It's good. It's good. It's good with coffee. I actually really like it with coffee. Um, um, not my favorite thing straight up anyways. 
Uh, yeah, so this one's good. But uh, I do have one thing. You know, a few episodes ago, our listeners uh, heard Jeremy recommend an army to me. And, you know, we built a thousand points. And I had told him time and time again, both on the recording and in our personal chats and our team chats, I don't have any more Zinch. I won a couple of boxes of Zinch during LVO, but I, I didn't have any more. So I just kept on telling him. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, oh, you'll just borrow one of my armies because, of course, he's got a Zinch army. Um, but I actually realized that I forgot to sell one of my Zinch boxes. <laughs> so I have 10 whores, a herald, three screamers, three flamers, and a burning chariot. So just buy two more of those and you'll have the start of it. I still have the same problem I mentioned before, both on a thematic scale. I just always like playing undead armies. Just, I just always like playing these like lawful evil armies that are not like, Ooh, I'm a demon. I'm edgy. Um, but also like, I don't, I don't like the models themselves. Like I, I'll do it. <laughs> like if Jeremy forces my hand, I'll, I'll fucking do it. Um, well, if you make like Jeremy it. build and paint you an army, no, you're like, he doesn't clean his mold lines. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's not happening. I, I will be building and painting these if I build and if I'm going to paint it, run the army. Uh, so uh, uh, we must recognize that Alex is actually a a, a skilled hobbyist. I'm an okay much hobbyist. much experience. I'm I'm average plus. I'll call it. Uh, I'm very but, experienced, but um, it's been a lot of bad habit experience so i just i'm just a very veteran bad hobbyist See, so you can do things fast then at least yeah 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 i do things fast not well see i got shamed into oblivion by israel and so like learning to hobby i i just i i did take a few notes from his book not all of them because it's not I, happening i brought some half painted models into a shop once and some people were like like because I, I had my painted corn stuff and i brought them to the shop like oh yeah gary your stuff looks really good like you know you're a great painter i've always had people compliment my like corn army and i'm sitting there like okay buddies and then i like, brought some half painted corn models they're like garrett do you not prime your models i'm like not wait always. hold on <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. garrett do you not prime your models before painting them not always No, so, but that priest. Like, with the segue, here's the segue, so, right? So, <laughs> so, this is this is like this is like I'm, I'm sorry. This is like putting like this is like going commando all the time. Yeah, this is like this is like having chronic diarrhea and and going commando all the time. <laughs> you are fucking swimming in dangerous waters, my friend. Um, I, my whole court, my whole corner army is unprimed. Like whenever you Why? see it, the whole army was painted unprimed. I'm sure be, be warned in the future when he sells this army, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, man? I, <sighs> you know, That's... it's you know, Alex, you know me. I'm I'm like, not, and only am I dedicated to removing mold lines and clean gluing and and all all said modeling techniques. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a uh, put a lot of effort into priming. You know, I have a a private stash of orchard supply primer yes, that I've been do. carefully doling out over the years. Uh, I have my special priming boards, my priming station in the yard, uh, special techniques. Like like when you prime for listeners, you know, like, like people think you stand your model, but when you're gonna prime, actually what you do is you put the model face down and you prime 
everything you can with the model face down. You get, you get the angles, you get down, you get all that stuff. And then you let that dry and now you flip it over. And when you put the primer on the face, most of the primer has been applied. So when you're putting the, the primer on the like chest and face details, you can go with a much lighter coat. And when you go to prime a model, you always focus on the deepest pockets first because those are the hardest areas to hit. So like the face will always get covered. You don't have to worry yeah. about shooting the face. So you shoot the armpit and then the face gets taken care of along the way. Yeah. See, I'm not as complex with you. I still do the old school, how I did when I was a kid, just like go outside and, and take the spray can and do it in certain angles. And with, uh, with all the OBR stuff and, and quite frankly, when the night stuff, when it, when it all gets sorted out, a lot of sticky tack and a lot of mm. sticking things and hitting things in different angles because everything I've been building lately has been done in pieces for the most part. So um, yeah, no, I get that. Uh, I'm not as complex, but I mean, whatever gets the job done. As long as you're fucking priming. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> whatever gets the job done, not priming also gets the job done. Anyways, now that we got all that squared away. Um, <laughs> then he gives up that he actually paints with uh, with Vallejo colored primers. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like, hey, no. <laughs> now he's going to tell me he doesn't actually paint with paints. He's going to, he, he's, he like takes a Sharpie or like a fabric <laughs> paint pen and only paints 100% that way. Like. No, no, I've, I've seen, you know, Garrett, Garrett, like, like if you didn't know it wasn't primed, you would look at the models and you would go, those are very nicely done. Yeah, I'm sure. Is, but I that's why I know that when people say that, like you clearly haven't looked at the model. Like it doesn't look bad. It looks oh, yeah. from three it was like, feet away. It was like an LVO. I was really excited and thought that my army would look really, really nice. And it was definitely a like tabletop standard. But like I was like checking bonus points for like certain details. And one of the judges he comes by and he's just like, Okay, I really like the eye effects on your Mortec guard. And I'm like, yeah, like the characters have them, they have them, uh, all the monsters, like every every unit has like the eye glow. He's like, he looks over and he goes, and he looks up to me, looks me straight in the eye and goes, well, not all the Mortec. And, he, and I'm like, yeah, not all the Mortec. <laughs> 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 oh boy. Um, but uh, you know, that's enough. We don't have to talk about it. We will just shame you later for, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Anyways, Garrett, prime your fucking models. Uh, <laughs> that being said, so here, here's, here's, I can sum up uh, our both of our opinion about priming models uh, in one succinct background. <laughs> I don't something fishy if you're not priming your models there, Garrett. Fishy, <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Well, we got some things that we want to cover here, and the first thing is going to be that Adepticon preview part two. Um, and you know, it says it's specifically titled heroes, heretics, and a squirrel. Um, you know, the, the fun thing was at the very end of this preview, they announced that there was a preview that no one else, no one else knew that was going to be going on, uh, on the 18th. So it'll just be coming on two Saturdays from now. And that'll be a third preview that we weren't anticipating, but, uh, we found out a little bit more, uh, like we talked about, John, you, you were you were talking a little bit about elves, a little bit about pointy elves, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a really big change here, and, the, and they're doing the Sisters of Battle route with their box set. You know, the box set is going to be an all-inclusive kit that includes a three-inch marker, um, or a three-inch uh, uh, game aid, uh, the like a bunch of punch-outs, uh, cards, dice, and you know a unit of the spearmen, uh, unit of cav, and uh, it looks like a hero. 
So that's big, you know? What are your thoughts on that? Oh man, I, I'm excited. When, when I looked at this set, to me, it reminds me a lot of the, uh, the Sisters of Battle uh, set that came up with Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, came with the book, came with the dice, came with a, this one has a little bit less, um, I would say variety of miniatures than that one had. So uh, I, I think I was a little, I would want more, I guess is the best way um, that I might describe that. Um, but outside of that, uh, I think that here, I got it right here. There we go. Oh, perfect. Okay. So, so we can see here, uh, can I do this right? Oh, there we go. So we got the, the guys oh on the, the spears. Like as soon as I saw that with the cavalry behind them, I was like, okay, I'm in. Uh, I like it. Yeah. I don't know if you guys watched the, the little video and stuff that came with it. It was kind of cute, you know, uh, you know, say, can you include a, uh, uh a hero made of light? <laughs> we got you covered. Hold my beer. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, they yeah. got this guy, you know. The so, the the hero with no arm or the the hero the the armor that's just floating. Yeah. That's the hero that comes with it. Yes, yes. Yeah, you see mm -hmm. him right there behind my head. <laughs> oh, he's but, not in that initial image. Oh, he's not? Oh, what's no. that guy there? Oh, I thought that was him. Oh, okay. That's never a squad mind. leader. Ah, okay, never mind. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not as cool as I thought then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like as as far as like the models, it feels like it's just a start collecting box. Like with dice tactical gauge cards in a codex yeah like the tactical so, gauge is kind of a bonus like like yeah, you can't yeah. have enough of those i don't know how many you have um i have up to four or five now <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't have enough i got like nine nine inch sticks and like five three inch sticks and i'm down to one six inch stick because I, I i have gotten rid of a bunch of mine that i gave them away because they're like people you need tactical gauges yep you know, I really like it. Uh, you know, the, they have the tactical gauge and it is a punch out. And then they all, it's because it's the same background as the kind of uh, token kit, which has, you know, uh, several different tokens, a lot of different headdress tokens, uh, a mountain looking one, and then like 24 random looking ones that are all the same. And then a nine inch marker. Um, but I, I thought that it was really interesting that their unit cards that come with it uh, they look to be the size of normal cards. They don't look to be the size of the cards that are in the um, the typical sets. When you buy like cards, they're you know the ones that you normally buy. They're like six inches by four inches. Yeah. And um, these ones, yeah. they they're looking when you see the image of the dice. Which, by the way, the dice are similar to Eidneth. They have that same kind of symbol, the sixes symbol. It's a very similar Eidneth symbol because you know the elf language is all very similar. Um, and, and so the six pip is the symbol. The one pip is not a rando symbol. It is just a one, uh, a one pip. And it's see-through, but it's like dark yellow acrylic. So it's not the most nine, like, like shame on Games Workshop for making usable, you know, yeah, action dice. I was, I was about to say is that all these people on Twitter are in an uproar. How dare you make usable dice? <laughs> like, <laughs> they've oh, done boy. better, they've done worse. That's all I yeah. can say is, is GW has a, a long, scattered history with making dice and they could come out with the actual best clearest dice set in the world and it still wouldn't be enough to overcome some of the dice that are in my yeah. collection from gw and i'll always point back to the one i got that's my space marine commander dice that has a skull on the one and a yeah. different skull on the six get the heck out of here it's truly <laughs> a sight to behold yeah but, uh, no, uh, Garrett, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the rule that came with them that they also previewed? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, so one, the new rule is the what's it called, lightning strike or something like that. Uh, basically, it's a rule in its uh, simplest form is anytime you pick a unit, you get to pick two units in a row to attack rather than alternating with your you. So you pick two, your opponent picks one. You pick two, your opponent picks one. So that's the uh, base. That that's kind of what the rule is. And is that, is that their faction rule? Like that's their. Yeah, what do you think it, that is, or is that a command ability? That looks it to looks be to, an allegiance ability. Yeah, it looks to just be at a battle trait of the allegiance. So all Lumin, uh, yeah, Lumineth, that's what they're called, right? Yeah. Yep. Will uh, have uh, this rule. So uh, there has been. So sadly, Jeremy isn't here. As Jeremy, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I, the plan, like, so we were talking earlier, and Jeremy brought up the point of. Oh, so what happens if you have one guy that has always strike first, you get to have two people go into always strike first. And I mean, reading this rule, like right off the bat, I honestly didn't even bother to even think about that. Cause I was like, that is clearly not how it's intended. And anybody who wants, yeah, no, it's clearly, it's meant to, you don't use this rule until after the beginning of the combat phase. And uh, may maybe. Is that no. an, uh, what, what realm is where that's a command ability for the Hish. realm? Yeah, the realm of light. The realm you know. of light, see? Seems yeah. very intended, actually. But, I mean, personally, mm -hmm. I feel like this is going to be a rule that was not meant to be part of the always strike first category. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be a strike at the start of the combat phase. And it's most likely going to be errated or FAQ'd or it, it, any way to be you don't use the, if you have one guy strike at the start of the combat phase, he doesn't get to allow a second unit to come with him. And if people try to play it that way, you're going to be very disappointed once the FAQ does come out. So like, maybe don't bother. Maybe. Like, just don't bother. I don't know. Like, I, this goes towards like, people, if you, if there are two, at, if there are two possible ways to interpret a rule, like if you could easily say, Yes, it could go this way or that way. The language is too vague. Always go with the weaker interpretation because when the FAQ or errata does come out, you're either pleasantly surprised because you got a buff or you're playing it the right way. Like, you, you, your army never gets nerfed then. Oh, that's you, you fair. That's fair. Like, like, you can't be mad that your army got nerfed because you weren't playing it one way and then got downgraded. Yep, you just play I, it the worst way. Then when the FAQ does come out, you go, oh, shit, I get a buff because I've been playing it wrong is the worst way. That's or, exactly. eh, I get it to play this. I've been playing it this way, so my tactics I've been generating this whole time ahead of time, I just get to keep playing with those tactics. So if you try to abuse gimmicks, you'll be punished. And GW has shown over and over again, I see all these people who always come out and be like, oh, they nerfed this army. No, they nerfed this gimmick. Yep, the army, that's true. This army wasn't nerfed. They just decided that this gimmick was not something they wanted in the game. And since people were only abusing a single gimmick, yeah, you lost your gimmick. They don't like gimmicks wing games. They like- I mean, if you call Plague Monks a gimmick, I guess I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and this is just the thing, you know, it's- well, I mean, actually that's a good point, John, as far as like, are Plague Monks a gimmick? Well, um, Plague Monks upping their cost they all they did was like a ten point bump to their cost because forty points, like, yeah, forty points for a unit, not forty points for ten. So it's like so bumping a unit up by a few points was just to s prevent people from spamming the single unit. So if everyone was taking only that unit, it was like cool. If you want to take four units of forty, 
well, your army just went up 160 points. You, you're literally supposed unit. to do that. They, they yeah. literally made the point cost so that you could not run the Pestilence army the way it was designed out of the Battle Tome, out of the starter kit. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> I think yeah, that this but, might be a discussion for another day when yeah, okay, we start, when we start to actually get this stuff uh, going <laughs> now. But yeah, uh, so the lightning strike rule, it's a cool, I actually really like it. It's a new mechanic. Honestly, yeah. it's not that abusable. It's not, I mean, I've heard people go, oh, it's not very powerful. Forget about it. Yeah, it isn't very powerful, but you know what? It's cool. Like, yeah. it's not strike at the start of the common phase. It's not something that is super abusable, game changing. It's literally just, hey, it's a cool rule that when you have four units, your opponent has four units, you get to strike with two, they strike with one, you get to strike with two, and then they strike with their three. And it's yeah, just it'll nice. Be, it'll be nice late game, too, when you have decimated units. So you have, like, yeah. two smaller units that now kind of combine to equal the size of an attack you might want to create against a unit. Yeah. So I can see a lot of places where it'll be, like, like I said, not game-shattering, but uh, a strong enough mechanic. I'll put it on the... Uh, the same order as Ideneth uh, Tides Table kind of mechanic. Yeah, strong yeah. and definite cases where it could be really strong, but for yeah, the most actually, part, uh, decent. You know. The other thing you mentioned that, that I thought about was that you can use units in conjunction, like decimated units. But honestly, it also allows you to actually play maybe an MSU style army without mm -hmm. being severely punished. Because one of the things about Age of Sigmar is because all combat is alternating, while supposed to 40k, all chargers go first. Uh, be playing MSU can be very punishing because you throw three guys into combat versus their one, you strike with a small unit, then their one big unit wipes out the other two. Mm -hmm. And as but now you actually have two units attacking at a time, so you can actually have little blobs of guys that can kind of be set like a cavalry supported by a spearman or something like that. So I could see that being beneficial. Um, just something I, I like the rule, it's not overly powerful. Uh, so I, I'm happy with it. I'm not upset. I like it. Just I hope people don't try to do stupid stuff with it. But you can assume people will do uh, stupid stuff uh, as far as that goes. Uh, so I mean, I think that's that's pretty much it for that. That the elves. I mean, we have yet to see uh, what they're really about. We have some good teasers. Uh, we got the cool cows. We got the cool hammers. Uh, I don't have Jeremy here to poo-poo on my love of the elven cows and the cool horns uh, that are coming out. Huh? No. And, uh, you know, I myself don't know much about this Sons of Behemoth Titan mm. faction, but uh, I saw some buzz online and people seem to to know all about it. So uh, what do you guys know about the Sons of Behemoth? Uh, well, the uh, Behemoth is uh, back when uh, when AOS finally had, like, match play rules. They had the Realmgate Wars, and the Realmgate Wars right before that there was like a little book about the god beasts and there was like a whole campaign thing about that and god beasts like uh in age of sigmar when sigmar's like clinging to the core of the world that was like this uh, astaroth which is like the main god for uh seraphon now is a god beast and uh like he caught sigmar and the the core of the world that was and like brought him to azur and you know that's where uh uh the realm of of azur kind of creates the the age of myth and um and everything just spreads from there but there are multiple god beasts throughout like azur some of them are dead some of them are alive uh some of them fuse into gods that are like you know warhammer fantasy gods and become something different archeon tries like ens uh, enslaving a bunch of them and it doesn't really work um but uh 
uh, yeah, uh, one of them is Behemoth. And they're not all the same. They're not all like a silver light dragon like like the um, the Seraphon oneers or, or yeah, uh, uh, Drakoth or whatever his name is. Um, and yeah, he's just supposed to be a giant, like a giant, 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 giant. And he's supposed to be the, the father of all giants. And you would assume if, if they made a tabletop model of Behemoth, he'd be six feet tall. Like it would be a big <laughs> foot on the table. Yeah, it would just be a foot on the table. Yeah, it would just be gigantic. Small child. It's just a small child. No, 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 no. Like bigger than the small. It would just be like obscenely large. Like there's an image in the God Beast thing where you see Archeon and he's got, he's on his beast and like, you see the image of Archeon and he like is like this big. And then the rest of the photo is the face of the God beast. It's like an example. So, gotcha. and, and, and that's, and that's Archeon like on his mound, right. Which on the tabletop is like that tall. Gotcha. Um, so uh, yeah, Behemoth is supposed to be the, the kind of God beast uh, that spawned Gargants or giants in, in Age of Sigmar. And uh, I will say something really interesting here because obviously it's just going to be, way bigger giants and it's gonna be a faction of giants and in that video which we can talk about uh uh you know i'll definitely see what your guys' thoughts are there it sounds like they clearly named three separate units that are going to be in the book and possibly expose the models but um before even looking this up i had actually looked a few weeks ago because we all knew that sons of Bahamut were coming around oh right yeah. i wanted to see and uh the models and size comparisons to kind of see where things might come because we know that it's probably going to be like a knight titan equivalent style thing in age of sigmar mm. maybe like four or five models max uh you know with their a bunch of cool allegiance abilities hard to kill but it's gonna be fun as hell to take them out some people are going to complain about that but fuck them um uh, <laughs> Uh, You're like a true Imperial Knight yeah, player. Truly. Oh, I'm, I'm I like Chaos Knights. So, so I have, um, you know, a, a Knight Titan is about seven inches tall, as an example. Uh, uh, the Serastus Knight. Titan, a, a Knight Titan, do you mean? Or, 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 a, a, yeah, a Questorus Knight model in Games Workshop. Yeah, a normal Knight model chassis. 40K, yeah. It's about seven and a quarter inches. And, um, and and I did all this research ahead of time, but I've also known that for a while. But uh, so it's about seven and a half inches. We know that. Um, the Serastus Knights are a lot taller. They're usually 10 to 12, maybe sometimes 14 inches. Um, the standard Games Workshop Gargant model, not very tall, about four inches tall. He's, he's, he's really? a big boy. He's, yeah, four to five inches tall. He's not super big. And he's only on like the heavy cavalry bases or like the, he's on a, um, a tree lord. He's on a tree lord base. I don't think he's on a tree lord base. I think he's slightly on the one smaller than that. The one that the Stormcast, uh, mm. like, like big, the heavy cav base. The heavy cav base. They're on those. So they're not that big. But the Forge Roll Knight. <laughs> We're not going to be doing a green screen tonight. <laughs> um, the, bone gr the Bone Grinder Giant. He's massive. He's like 12 grinder. inches tall. Exactly. The Bone Grinder, yeah. he's actually nine inches tall. And okay. uh, if his, 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 uh, his mace makes him 12 inches tall or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure. And if you've ever played, uh, uh, you know, if you've ever played a game and you have your, your measuring tape out or if you have your nine inch gauge out, you'll find out very quickly that uh, nine inches is uh, taller than most of the models in the game, easily. And so, yeah, this is if they're anywhere close to his size, but wider, That'd be huge because, like, again, nine-inch Gargant, but like, he's not all that wide. He's got a very like weak lanky pose. body. Yeah, yeah, the Bone Grinder Giant is very lanky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 
Honestly, uh, like I'm just, I, I I'm, think... just, I'm just picturing. I'm sorry, Gary. I'm just picturing like like an, an army of like four or like I said four or five of these dudes on big giant bases just wrecking. Uh, I'm I'm in, man. I'm I'm saying, you know, the day they come out that evening, I have a painted army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually like for as far as 40k goes, like comparing them to the Imperial Knight Army. I actually really like the Knight Armagers, the little dudes. And I hope they do something like that for a guard dance, or maybe there's some slightly smaller, maybe like giant trolls or something like just really big trolls or something like that that uh, they can have. Because I like the idea of like you know you got your big hulkers, but then you got the little hulkers, and they're way bigger than a normal guy. Like they're like six wound, eight wound little dudes that can like run around, and they're like squads of three of them or something. I like that idea. So you have some big guys and some little guys mixing it up. Are, are these no. like giant, like toddlers, like, like yeah, babies? Like, 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 like there's, there's like, like toddler giants running around, got a big rattle. Ah. I, 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 don't, I don't, know. I don't know what the justification for it will be. Okay, from, okay. just from from a from a just like uh, army composition standpoint, the idea of just four big dudes go sounds boring to me. I, I would like the idea of like maybe a couple little squads of three in addition to your giant dudes. I don't know. That that would be me. That's what yeah. I would like to see out of a guard. Because just like four big dudes, single models have always performed poorly in Age of Sigmar. Like, these squad raiders have done well, well the new 10 you know, uh, I, yeah. say, I, I just want to throw one thing out there, too, before we get too far. I see that Sons of Behemoth is already a battalion they inside are. of the app. They're not very, it's not a very good battalion. <laughs> what, what is that for? I also don't think it has points. So yeah, That's for God Beasts, the book yeah, God Beasts. He, yeah, it doesn't have so, points. It doesn't have it points. So does it that mean? Have, oh, it doesn't have points. Oh, have points. which means it's not available for mass play. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is something though that that someone out there knows a lot more about this. Like, there's this has been around before, right? This has been I mean, around. Yeah, I, ah. I mean, the, the, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, saying? the Godpiece uh, book has been around. It's like the moment people saw Sons of the Hammer, they're like, oh, I know all about God Beasts. Like, yeah. So there there are people who know a lot about this faction so mm -hmm. well we're gonna have to see where things are for them uh obviously we're gonna find out more information hopefully two saturdays from today um you know it's i i understand the low model count but i mean they they already did it with beast claw raiders i would be i would be very foolish if i were thinking that we would not have the ability to um you know have them count as like 20 models or something but john does lead us into our next thing here <laughs> right now we want to actually talk about of course the deployment so uh bear with me one moment here as john uh, just forcing these new topics yeah i, know, I like I, it man i like it i like it um, and for those of you that are uh have stuck with audio only to this point uh do know that we've been posting our show over on our youtube channel um a little bit hard to find it is um wide world war gaming over there right uh rather than wide world of war gaming uh, but we'll put links and alex will post links when he posts links to the show as well uh but this would be the good time for you to switch over to the youtube video and uh we're going to take a, a visual look at some deployments alex has some great visual aids for us and then we're going to uh uh, mark it up and do cool stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, of course, this first one, we uh, 
we all as a group wanted to talk about deployments and we wanted to talk about which ones might be the a little bit more difficult to try to prepare and deploy for and uh we all got together and we finalized them and we're going to start off with duality of death now with duality of death of course you know this one's a really strange one because it's very easy to to mess this one up and and i'm trying to make sure that we have uh, our images here that fit in a way and you know what this works fine this one uh, looks great this is perfect yeah so uh you know this one uh you know you guys definitely jump in and annotate but um you know there is a lot of differences between 2018 and 2019 um john if you were to play this uh when you are regularly deploying for uh duality of death can you tell us or show us a little bit about what your usual thought process is especially sure. with one of more one of your more popular armies sure well of course i'm, I'm generally going to play this with skaven let's let's face it i've played uh pretty much the entire last season with my skaven army um and when it comes to duality of death uh, we got to remember that only hero and battle line can score in this mission and how long you hold the objective is going to determine how many points that you actually scored on this particular one. So I myself, uh, playing Skaven, am usually going to start off with some gnaw holes. So here I can take advantage of the gnaw holes, and I'm usually going to put like one gnaw hole into play over here, and then one gnaw hole into play over here. And then after that, I have a decision, and this is kind of a a little bit of a uh, my decision based on terrain and what kind of army my opponent has. If my opponent has some units, uh, especially some bigger units, I might actually throw a gnaw hole right here and that's going to bait them over. Like this is totally useless, but I tell you what, if you don't do something to block this off, I'm going to jump some kind of a unit in behind your army and smash you up. The other alternative for me is to just go ahead and put one of the gnaw holes over on the side. And the basic thought process is that I'm gonna take and I'm gonna actually go, and let me just switch here, boop, 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 there we go. Uh, I'm gonna set up my guys all around. I'm usually gonna set up, you know, some battle line right up here. This is probably gonna be like um, some clan rats uh, are pretty good right up front right here, maybe a 20 or a 40. And the nice thing about clan rats is when you run them, they move an extra two inches. So when you run, you're guaranteed to get a minimum of a nine inch move, right? And so we've got our, you know, zone around the objective. I guess it's gonna be about that big. I probably should use a circle. And so I can guarantee that my clan rats are gonna get up here. And what I'm usually going to do is, depending on my opponent, I'm gonna actually go in and I'm just gonna put a toe into one of these objectives. So like maybe they've set up something really strong on this side that can just smash me. I might have one little clan rat sitting in here. And then over on this side, <clears throat> I'm going to move that stuff up. I'm going to set my monks up and kind of set up to have a nice big wall. And maybe this is my opponent's weaker side over here. And so that's kind of how I'm playing. Now, if my opponent, like myself, has an army that can play strong on two fronts, that's where the knot holes can come in is I can set up with a nice balanced deployment, but actually after the first turn, I start shuffling units through this knot hole and all of a sudden I have a lot more force on one side that I can use to break through and keep them off this objective. One of the things that I think people uh, need to pay attention to on this particular mission 
is that you do score points based on how many turns you actually hold uh, each individual objective. So if you can grab one of the objectives and hold it the entire game, and then only one time prevent your opponent from actually taking the other objective or gain one point off the other objective, then you're going to sit ahead on this mission and all. And this is one of my personal favorite missions. It plays so well to the strengths of the Skaven. Uh, and so that <laughs> is basically what I'm going to do uh, on this one. Now, this particular mission has a little bit of a, a quirk to it. And Garrett, uh, I know you're well aware of the quirk in this particular mission. Um, did they fix that? Did they fact that thing? Or is that still um, uh, a problem, shall they say? Uh, so, yeah. No, the true answer is no. And this is a quirk for uh, all uh, hero-based hero uh, objectives. So places of arcane power, duality of death, and three places of power all have it. So basically, so the thing is, is that uh, you capture the objective. A, a unit holds an objective if they made a move of some sort onto the objective. So if you have a teleport ability, uh, you can't just like say, I'm gonna, I have guys right here, or let, let's say you're Stormcast. You can't just deep strike some Stormcast on there and bam, nope, you don't score it because you didn't make a move. Setups are not a move. Um, and so you actually have to like run a guy on here or um, yeah, so you gotta run a guy or move a guy. So it's either a, a normal move, which is a movement phase or so run, a normal move that is not a retreat move specifies. He can't retreat onto them. Um, or a charge move or a pilot move. One of those three moves, and that is how you uh, actually can score these. The thing is, is that they, they made, they fixed it where uh, you if you leave the objective, you no longer score it. It used to be, they forgot to have the language where if you are no longer within three inches of the objective, it is a three inch objective, which I would yes. say, so the, the circles are much maybe smaller than John originally had. Yep. Uh, they're, they're probably more wrong lines about this big. Uh, if you leave within three inches, you aren't, you no longer score. If you make a move farther than three, but that's the thing is they did say, make a move farther than three inches away. So if you make a pilot move, a charge move, normal move, or any actual move, they don't specify. Uh, you'll, but if you teleport off the objective, so you can have a hero move, run up, teleport to this corner over here, he technically holds it. And one of the big things about these is once a unit has claimed the objective, that unit holds the objective until he either dies or moves away from it. So no one can just steal that objective from him. It's not like normal things where the person with the most models takes it. It's just, I hold it until you kill me or I leave. And so if he's just on that objective and then teleports over here and then you just screen his ass, uh, then, you know, he's holding that objective for game. And yep. or that's where I, if you have durable battle line, that's where they're really strong too. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's easier to do the get on and teleport with a hero. Mm, Fortunately, um, events like LVO have house ruled that to eliminate that gimmick. Uh, and I would hope that by the summer FAQ GW will just straight up uh, errata that gimmick away. 
Um, so like a turn, like LVO did it, a uh, tournament that I was going to run, we were going to house rule that just says at the end of every phase, if you aren't still within three inches, you no longer control. So that's the uh, gimmick that John was referring to. As far as some of the strategies I have uh, for this mission, so, as, so key things to watch out for is you have this line here, this line here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be player B because uh, I'm I'm facing this right now. So if you are player A, these are two very important lines because as John mentioned, you can throw a gnaw hole right here, or uh, any ambush mechanic in general, uh, Legion of Night, uh, Beast of Chaos. Uh, many others i know that they are I'm just blanking off the top of my head can just put they they can come in right here and then take nine inch charges right into your back line can be very devastating um alternatively though you can create kind of some baits you can kind of like create a wall like right there or right there and so they're able to come in like over here but you're going for the objective. So if you have just your screen set up to just block whatever is in these zones, then they can't come in here. But you also have to worry about coming in from right here and from right here. So you really have to be careful with screening because your territory is very limited in this one which does also go into account with your terrain features. Many terrain features have to be within your terrain, with your territory, like the corn one, uh, the flesh eater course one, they have to be wholly within you, your territory. And as you notice, the territories themselves are tiny. So terrain can make a huge impact on this mission and actually bottleneck people. Yep. Like the, the big terrain feature right here or right here, oh, yeah. you end up having only these uh, let me get a different color. Uh, you only have these little zones right here for deployment to try to get to this objective. Um, so you have to be very careful with how terrain is placed on the map. And if, if there's no templating on how um, the events are doing terrain, which try to not zone these out, there's more random placement. Picking sides can be very important just to avoid those bottlenecks. Uh, as far as actual mathematical measuring, so the distance between this point and this point right here is just over nine inches. So it's gonna be like nine point whatever. It's exact, it's just nine inches exactly. Yes. So you will need exactly. you will need <clears throat> 10 inches of movement to get there, effectively, is what it's gonna be. Because to get from this point to the, the peak here to the peak here is exactly nine make that exact nine inch movement is infinitesimally small so basically you're going to be at nine zero 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 one so you need 10 inches of movement so if you have a six inch move unit you need a four inch run to make there if you have a five inch move unit you need a five inch run to make it so yep. those clan very, reps need a two up on that run <laughs> yeah so you have to be very careful about what units you want to put on there to make sure they have the uh, speed to do it um, and also then what units you put on there. As John mentioned earlier, there's durable battle line or heroes. So for example, in the Cities of Sigmar list, Phoenix Guard, fantastic unit to toss on there uh, because they will just get on there and survive forever because you get one toe in Phoenix Guard on that objective and 
he's going to, the whole unit will hold it until you don't have one guy within three inches or the whole unit is dead. Phoenix Guard, Hearth Guard Berserkers, they'll survive forever. Um, some other pitfalls. So, you, like, that's the, the other thing about this mission, I think, is you have to be very careful about unit synergy. Uh, because you have to split your forces if you want to effectively get both objectives. And since there's only two objectives, as John mentioned, if one player holds one objective for the whole game and gets one point on the other objective, they can't lose. Like, the only way to combat your opponent holding one objective for the whole game is to hold the other objective for the whole game and be a point ahead of them. So yep. you're either going to have to push people off objectives or get on one of the objectives as early as possible, or you're going to need a combination of both. So actually this mission going first and jumping on those objectives early can be very important and making sure you have a unit that can survive. Yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big one in this is being willing to go first and then being able to survive yeah. the double turn while you're hanging out there. Now I will say uh, all of your guys' points are very, very important here. And, and, uh, I think that something that's really important to, to, you know, play around with is trying to make sure that you can properly protect the units that are going to be uh, able to score, of course, mm -hmm. while also making sure that, you know, you can, of course, get onto the objective when you can. Now, going first and second is going to play a really, really big, uh, you know, a really, really big role in what we're going to end up doing here. So, you know, given, let's say that there's no bottlenecking terrain on the board. And let's say I'm playing against a Skaven player. I will say, uh, you know, if I were to be player A, for instance, I would still put, you know, um, you know, in, say, an OBR army, I would still put, uh, well, uh, we're going to, not do that here. Uh, we're gonna basically put, um, you know, a hero like a fast hero right here, but a big unit of Mortec right there. Um, I'll still put, you know, say another hero, maybe a bigger, faster hero right here. Put a small unit of Mortec on the sides if there's say a uh, a Nahol or something that I want to get rid of, and then put maybe like an elite unit right here so that we have kind of like a massive people right uh, on one side and then uh you know the the other side's kind of got a little bit more of an elite angle which is kind of difficult uh, you know in an army like obr that plays an easier role but i'll say when i'm actually playing this mission especially against an army that no, wait 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 did you when you take your crawlers do you put them both on one side or do you split them in this scenario i'm gonna pretend, <laughs> i'm gonna pretend like you didn't say anything here um i will say though uh if i were to play with my night haunt for instance it actually is a very very different game um with with night haunt you know you do play a lot more ambush tactic -y, but like you guys talked about earlier uh, in order to score on this objective, uh, on the objectives, you can't just teleport onto them. So you have to be very careful, especially as a night hunt player or people who are deep striking. And if I were to play against a guy who does put his knot hole, say, in the middle, uh, what I tend to do is uh, I tend to bait a little bit and, and really try to almost go for an area denial. You know, I'll have, for instance, um, you know, maybe a chain rasp unit right here, a little farther away. Um, and then, you know, some heroes that I know that can score that are a little faster over here, maybe on one side, um, or, you know, out of range of any sort of ranged abilities. 
um, you know, either or, unless they have an equal healthy spread of ranged weapons, which, you know, if we were to play, say, a specifically Skyr player, they might not always have that type of, uh, you know, uh, nice range ability on either side of their deployment. Yeah, they're probably going to have strength <clears throat> on one side, right? Yeah, well, on the other Excuse side, I'll, I'll generally bait a little bit, right. but... Uh, if there's a side that I know can handle whatever can show up, I'll actually just put like a unit of chain wraps really weak just by themselves over on one side and then put a couple of heroes and some of my more elite units uh, over on the front row. Uh, especially, so, you know, they can so, just sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, Alex. I just want to say before you go on, talking that actually brought up an idea of knowing, you're saying like certain armies are going to have strength on one side. This mission in particular, because a lot of missions, I actually don't care what my opponent does. I have the same deployment every single time. Yeah. This mission, you can't. You actually have to alternate deploy, make sure you see where your opponent's going, because if you, you can out-deploy your army, your opponent being like, oh, well, he's going to put his storm fiends over there, so my unit that doesn't want to get shot, well, I'm going to put him over there. I'm going to, like, they'll put the storm fiends over here. I'm going to put my target that does want to get shot over there and that's kind of what these guys are talking about is that this is a mission that you can very much counter deploy your opponent and be very tactical in the way you do that so i just wanted to bring that point up before we moved on go ahead alex oh no, no i was pretty much done um okay. yeah so you know it's, it's something that's really important here um, um that, that's that's a great point though as you put it that there gary you know this is actually one of those few missions where uh, you can you actually end up with a very cagey alternating back and forth deployment. I know that when my army's lined up, you know I got that uh, I, man. I wish Jeremy was here for this too. Jeremy, where are you? I need like a Jeremy uh, uh, little uh, icon that I can hold up and be be here. Where is anyway. our French overlord? Yeah, where is where's <laughs> our guy? But anyways, so uh, you know I take my my vermin lord warps here, and I've got him. And people are looking like, okay, what side is he going to put that on? You know, where's that screaming bell going to go? Like these are things that are like going to affect heavily affect how my opponent and where they want to put something, whether they want to avoid those or whether they want to zoom in and and take those down real quick too. Yeah, um, actually, another point. Uh, is that I like to play a lot of ambush armies, Legion, uh, Living City, Legion of Night, um, where you can you come in from board edges. Uh, I probably would actually really like Night Haunt, where I just have freedom to just deploy half my army anywhere. Um, and you don't only look at this little zone right here. It's very tempting to come in your opponent's line, but like for example, with like Living City, um, you can come in right here. Like I, I, you could deploy like a whole army right here come in on this edge, move on, shoot, and then move back on. You can kind of play the long con coming in from these side edges and maybe having the whole battle. Like you deploy your whole army over here so the whole battle's taking place over here. Mm. And then you kind of ambush your army on later and just kind of like sneak on to this guy or deploy an overwhelming ambush force to clear off your opponent's weak flank or something like that. So this is the one that deployment tricks matter a lot. Absolutely. Really, yeah, you can really, like, Night Hot honestly does well here. Being yes, able to deploy, like, a big force right in the middle that can just threaten both forces, like 20 Blade Guys Revenants or something. Well, Being able to threaten quite, both. Quite frankly, uh, our good friend Cody um, from the podcast and, and or fellow Corsair who plays Flesh Eater Chords, he actually beat me in a game. He was very excited to do so. Um, but we had played a game where I had a bunch of stuff on uh, 
on the objective, you know, say I was player B, for instance, I had a lot of units over here, basically swarming the objective, but primarily on my side. Um, I had Arkin, I had a big unit of Mortec, one crawler, or uh, not crawler, Harvester, um, and uh, he had a few lucky rolls, killed Arkin real quick, and basically whittled things down, but took a while to actually hold this objective. On the other side of things, and this is a game-losing thing in, in retrospect, um, he was playing Blister Skin, and I had put Mortec Guard essentially right here, and then I had put uh, Catacros and a Harvester. Basically, you know, the uh, Catacros was right there, and the Harvester was right here. And what happened is everything had moved up the board, and as the, as the game went on, he actually was able, and I was able to kind of move up here, uh, he was actually able to show up, and uh, you know, use his uh, command abilities to bring a unit of knights in. So he brought some of the, um, the little uh, bird boys, I call them, um, and and uh, you know, I, I forgot what their name is. The flares, crypt flares. Crypt, crypt he, flares. Brought, he brought crypt flares in, and I was only able to move. I had a really shitty run move for Catacros, so he was only able to get so far up the table, only a few inches from scoring the objective. But then he was able to knock me back, and, and I didn't have say any bubble wrap behind me. Um, and then he rolled a nine-inch charge, and uh, lo and behold, he got into combat with Catacross with two units of, of flares, and I just wasn't able to kill enough of them to, to move away in my turn. And I eventually had to, you know, create more re or add more resources to my uh, army and kind of go behind. And so he was able to hold his uh, that other objective for several turns, giving him the win. You know, after a while, there's just no way I was going to catch up because That's he had gone brutal. that one turn one. Yeah, so like, you know... Um, and, and by the way, listeners, for those of you who are not tuned in, <clears throat> to the YouTube video, you are missing out. <clears throat> Mr. Alex Gonzalez here has amazing Telecaster skills. You should see the <laughs> teleprompter, the arrows, the shapes, the multicolors. He's telling a visual story here. Do yourself a treat. Lit, watch the video. See well, what's going on. John, I think that homework for all of us actually is going to be uh, we need to put on our best Madden impression. Next time we start doing this, uh, I will. I will. So no, the goal to win best. the game is to get the most points. The goal of the game is you win. The, the way it. you win the, the strategy to win the game is you just got to get the most points, and that's how you win the game. Well, what you really got to do is you take the ball from this end to that end. You hold the objective, and you hold the objective longer than your opponent. Oh, I love it! I love it. Uh, however, let's let's uh, move on and see what we can do to take a look at our next mission here, which is Scorched Earth. And this might be the uh, the final this one of the night. This is not Scorched Earth. No, 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 this is not. This is Scorched, Scorched Earth. Earth. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, we've gone through uh, all, all 18 missions in previous episodes. So if you guys need to know a full breakdown on how to score the objectives, definitely listen in on some of our previous episodes. But uh this and one. we'll be doing, sorry, I don't know if we said this at the beginning, Alex, we are going to go through a couple different episodes uh, where we're going to cover some different missions here. So we're doing two tonight, and hopefully next week uh, we'll be doing two more, and uh, Mr. Uh, Bogeyman will be with us for that, too. Exactly. So he will be there for, for that, so tune in for future episodes where we will we'll be able to review that. Uh, however, Scorched Earth, this is one that is huge, and there are a lot of different takes. I certainly have a lot of takes myself, but uh, John theoretically you're skaven what are you finding yourself doing if you are playing uh this one you know john or uh, uh 
as, as Garrett mentioned earlier, almost every single objective or, or mission in the game, he's pretty much deploying the same way every single time, no matter what. But is that how you act in these instances or what, what's going right. on? Right. So um, I'm typically uh, a two block army when I'm running my, my larger Skaven army. So it's actually designed to go down in two uh, functional setups, but it's capable of three. So I can divide the army into three functional blocks if necessary. So for uh, a mission like this, I might be going with the three functional block setup. Uh, and I guess I could even bust out the old teleprompter here real quick. So we'll just, uh, I liked what Alex was doing with the squares. So we'll give those a try real quick. So uh, probably going to set up, you know, as always, going to set up some nice clan rats right up in front and i'm typically running three blocks of clan rats so that third block is probably going to be coming in here those guys are solidly black backed by some monks over here and the monks probably probably are kind of stringing back so right john, i'm coming be back before you continue john i do want to mention one of the things about this is so there is going to be an 18-inch gap between you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Based sorry. off the objective placement, you will get three inches ahead of your objective. And with an objective scoring zone of six, it's going to be about that. Uh, so your opponent can land turn one in here and right here, and you're going to get three inches. So I just wanted to mention that real quick as John was doing his deployments. Okay, okay. So here Garrett comes back with, with reality here. So we've got our actual uh, nine inch. So we're 12 inches here. So as we said, we got a, our nine inch line. There we go. Yeah, about that. There yeah. we go. So you like that better? Yeah, there you go. So Because okay. I noticed you were putting some uh, clan rats in front of the objective, and I wanted to make it clear to the viewers that yeah. um th they're actually going to be looking that. yeah they're going to be yeah. more looking like that with yeah. like some monks sitting back here and again as we were starting to do then those guys are going to trail back because it's important to hold all four objectives from the beginning right yeah and of course we might have our you know we're anticipating things so like there's going to be a gnaw hole probably over here and probably a gnaw hole over here mm -hmm. And then I'm taking one maybe either, you know, here or I, I would re be remiss to put it at the back. So that's pretty unlikely. And then we're going to, you know, put like, uh, you know, the, the furnace or excuse me, a bell or something will be sitting there and a vermin lord. And then, of course, we've got our uh, other things. So, you know, so it's going to look something like that. We're holding both objectives. We're trailing back and we're not necessarily holding the back strong, but I do have stuff you know, trailing back mostly so that the nine inch zones are all protected. Basically you have a, a nine inch stay away. Don't come in anywhere from my backfield. You're protecting the front, your first turn. If you get first turn, you're of course, pushing forward, push, 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 you know, maybe this unit over here is pushing even deeper. I myself uh, am a big believer, go in and blow up the objective the moment you can touch it. So if my opponent has put anything, anything that out here that doesn't have 40 models or that I can't put more models on them, they're going to lose it. So the odds are that first turn, if I get it, I've just shoved, you know, 40 clan rats. I've ran them here. Ideally, I didn't engage you. I didn't charge you. I'm three inches away from you, but probably right there. And boom. 
blow up both of those objectives. Now I continue to screen my backfield and just keep pushing at the front, but it doesn't matter. As long as I can hold my objectives and I've blown up even one of your objectives, I'm winning this game. And that's what I got to keep pushing. If you blow up one of my objectives, I need to be able to blow up another one. I need to be able to sacrifice. Maybe I want to only hold three and I'm going to bait you in to do something here just to split your forces out. That's a bold maneuver, but it can pay off because if it pulls some units out of your opponent's backfield, then you might be able to go in and take out, you know, three of their objectives while they only have one there. And that's what it's like. Uh, you know, I usually have like 15 colors of pens. It's worth mentioning when I teach my classes at work, I do it in front of a giant whiteboard. And one of the most critical parts about setting up my class is getting like 12 different colors of pens uh, ready. So that's a, an important thing. We actually keep a deep supply of whiteboard pens. So uh, my drawing got a little messy there. We'll, we'll clean it up by undoing everything. So that's my general thoughts on this one. You got to protect your zones, protect anybody from flanking in on the backfield. You might only hold three to bait an opponent in, but you got to choose which opponents you're going to allow to do that. But if you're going to do that, then you need to have a hidden frontier. You know, they think they're coming into your backfield. What they don't realize is that you've actually just left a little bait. There's a little, I'm poking out my Vermin Lord Warps here. You think you're going to come in and get a juicy character, but you don't notice that there's a unit of Plague Monk sitting on either side of him. Yeah. Okay. So, John. Yes. Uh, just to hopefully uh, relieve some possible viewer uh, confusion, one thing I want to mention is you cannot burn objectives turn one. Well, first turn of all, two. yeah, yeah, but like, so your your strategy, just to say that your I'm strategy of push, put push I mean, on John, and John. burn right away. <laughs> I wasn't going to say if anything. If you can get away with it, you got to get away with it. I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't going to say anything, but I was going to be like, if you want to be all the way up that far in turn one, then like, haha, justice planned. Like, so, yeah. So that that th this mission is again, it's going to be highly dependent upon your opponent's force. Um, so John John's strategy is very great, assuming your opponent doesn't have movement shenanigans. Because actually one thing to take it, so John was very true that turn one, you want to score every objective. Uh, and you could do that in various ways. I would say be, you'd be very surprised what you could do with one inch of coherency. Make sure you measure nine inches right here, nine inches right here, nine inches up like this. And then so draw this line so it'll come up like this, draw that nine inch line and then come back like this and deploy a unit all the way across right here. And then you have a guy right here, he's gonna measure nine inches right here, and deploy another guy over here, he's gonna measure nine inches right here, and do the same thing over here, over here, and you've basically walled off that whole thing. So that's what I'd say is, let me actually do that in different color. You've walled off that whole section. And that will allow for mitigation of nine-inch deep strikes. Um, to John's point, though, being very aggressive and coming up turn one, if you can score all of these, even though you don't burn your opponent's objective, turn one, you can get five points, maybe even six. If you're able to take two objectives, you can get a bunch of points and get those early points. Because this is one of those missions where 
you score every turn, and in theory, both you and your opponent are scoring the same number of objectives. So every single one point you get over your opponent, you're going to be ahead. The earlier you can be ahead, the better. Um, this one, if you, although if you do play too aggressively and you don't have a plan to defend your front two, if you like come over here and attack, and your opponent can then just come like here and take this objective and then burn it, then you're screwed because then you're down an objective and your opponent gets the extra points. Or if your opponent is able to secure this objective, get it for a turn, double turn, then burn it, that could be really bad. Um, well, they're, they're trying to do what you're doing. I mean, that's what that comes down to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So th this uh, mission, you have to be very careful about spreading your forces. Having some screen units that you can sacrifice to zone out this, zone out this back uh, for the whole game, this back here, is very important because... If your opponent has any sort of teleport abilities like uh, Bridge of Shadows or um, uh, honestly even, um, what's it called? Protection of the Gash or uh, many of the Playing other... in the Realm of uh, Shadow, right? Yeah, Bridge of Shadows from the Realm of Shadows or uh, there's the, the, the Slaves to Darkness teleport ability, uh, Change Host, any of those, they can easily just drop in and all they need to do is get within six inches of one of these objectives, get more guys than you. They don't even need a six-inch charge and they mm -hmm. just burn that objective. Then. Yeah, that messes with a lot of people when I send units in and just grab the objective but don't actually charge in. They're like, wait, yeah. what? Wait, yeah, what? exactly. <laughs> so you have to be very careful with these two back objectives. These front objectives are probably going to be very aggressively played by both you and your opponent. Um, and so, honestly, you're going to lose these, most likely, and your opponent's going to lose these. And the key is to just hopefully, like, lose one of them. Let's undo. So lose one objective and just heavily, heavily defend, like, another one. Let this one die and then burn both of these. And so when you're talking about how to deploy, maybe create a very strong defense, like using Mortec Guard or 40 block of skeletons and not be aggressive with them, or, uh, and then use a more aggressive, fragile unit that might be smaller to push and attack a weak flank and try to then sweep through and burn yeah. those objectives. I think that's, and then using a very uh, skeleton crew block these back two from any deployment shenanigans because a strong front right here your opponent's going to be pushing here and then he's going to have to either sweep back here and then be very um undefended in this area so he is it, having a skeleton crew just be blocking these will save your bacon a ton because one of the big things about this object this mission is it has eight objectives instead of the max what used to be six yeah. and so you're going to be spread out thin so relying on your usual strat uh, synergies to have your entire army be buffed is not going to be a thing anymore especially since the game is moving towards holy within strategies so uh that that would i would say are the big things to look out for is you're going to lose your strat you're going to lose your synergies you're going to have to sacrifice some skeleton crew in the back and you're going to just need to focus probably on one of yours and focus on killing two of your opponents or whole, honestly, you could even go for a full like 
try to capture both of these and uh, sacrifice these because then if you get your opponents, you can then use this to attack this flank right here. Yeah. And, and again, of course, if your opponent doesn't through. have any ambush mechanics, you just can just shove oh, yeah. everything forward and just- Yeah, you literally just have this six, you have this six inch bubble right here. You just, you just control that six inch bubble right there and that six inch bubble. And then if your opponent doesn't have any movement shenanigans, you just create this wall and then you just move the um, wall forward. Oh, no, that's not what I wanted. You just move the wall forward like this. And you just keep pushing the wall forward until you have a wall. Okay. Like that. So, so, that, so that's my thoughts. So there's a lot here. And you guys have all made good points. But you, you got to talk about what you want to do in certain situations as your army, as your faction. And, you know, with that, you guys are... Garrett, I mean, I've played a lot of factions. I've played Garrett, Corn, which doesn't have any I, movement against, and I play a lot Garrett, of ambush armies. I got that. So. And and with that, you know, you make a very good point about wanting to cover your back end, right? And of course, I play an army that is equally back endy. Um, I, that was an absolute screw up. So we're going to undo that. Um, That's but, the kind of back end symbol you were making. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know when we when we look at the actual deployment here, um, there's depending on who you fight, there's definitely going to be a lot of different options, and you want to be able to cover cover your bases. But if you are playing against a deep striker, you don't always have to completely block out their deep strike. In fact, as a Nighthaunt player, I can tell you when someone starts doing that, when they start moving around and basically like covering their back end like that. That's good for me. That means that the very front line has less models that I have to worry about. Like uh, most armies aren't going to be able to fully cover that big U without, you know, really having a skeletal crew in the front. Um, when when I play my missions, uh, if I'm playing my night hunt, for instance, uh, I actually have two kind of fundamental ways I play. Um, if I'm playing, for instance, against a uh, a player who does have deep strikers. What I'll do is I will still give them a little bit of space to uh, to wiggle, but depending on the terrain, I might say put some chain rasps right here, or maybe do some chain rasps right here, just enough to kind of fuck with a little bit of a small L shape in terms of deep strike. But of course, we don't want them popping up in the middle either. So what I end up doing is I end up putting uh, if the units if they do have deep strikers, maybe having some units you know kind of right here, some elite units just in case. Um, and, or maybe even a little farther out in the middle, um, but a little further up too, just to also, uh, you know, cover bases. Um, if I'm fighting against a player who is fully, like, they're not going to be deep striking, they're no nonsense, uh, you know, Fire Slayers is a perfect example, and I just yeah. know that they're going to kick my shit in, I play very, very differently. And we had talked about this during one of the uh, uh, you know, roundups to a tournament uh, to the Forge in 2019 when mm -hmm. Jeremy and I played. Um, I basically had a big chunk of my army right here. I had a big chunk of my army right here. And I had some like bubble wrap right here in the middle or in the front, right? Near this objective. Because I knew he wasn't going to deep strike me. Um, and as I, as the game went on, he didn't move any of his units away from like 18 inches out. He didn't do anything. And I knew that he was going to wait till probably turn three and then move his 30 hearth guard up the board. 
And so I started moving my units a little farther away. So I started actually moving, you know, my bubble wrap right here, my units right here. I actually ended up moving my bubble wrap just enough to be on that objective. And I actually started splitting the love while I started merging these two big uh, units together. And then I waited till turn three and, uh, or turn four rather. And he had already pretty much, he had started to move some units up the board. He started using, uh, bringing his hearth guard up in a, in a threatening way. Um, you know, he started to basically be right here and thankfully he didn't get a double turn on me. So what I did was I busted my nut and I busted cogs out and ran things up the board in order to um, or start scoring this objective. And then, um, you know, I was a little remiss on my uh, command points, but what I did is I ended up being able to teleport units uh, eventually. Uh, at that point, he had killed so many of my stuff. I was able to um, cover on uh, one of his other objectives, uh, just my general and a few other, uh, two units of chain rafts, and then eventually move over to his back objective to hold, to end up scoring three of them. But really like in a deep strike heavy army or a Nighthaunt army, you do want to really start playing the game at around turn three in this one, because you want to jump on and either hold on if you can, or jump on and then just immediately start denying someone points. Um, what I should have done though, in that mission, it, for example, if I were to play that mission in the future against an army that's no bullshit, I would actually instead keep the army all in this kind of middle zone right here to score both, all the objectives and really not do much. I have my, maybe if my, if my opponent is, is dumb enough or overconfident enough rather to move up into my line then of course engage them with the units that you need to in order to continue to hold the objectives but with uh you know the realm of highish and the aether court brooch and all the deep striking what i'll do is i'll wait and i'll wait and i'll wait and if they do start end up start uh moving up the board then i'll bust the cogs out um i'll speed up time i'll move like half of my army and put it wherever I can on his end in order to start screwing with him. Is it, uh, you know, is it going to be, you know, say uh, over here? Maybe. Is it going to be over here? Who knows? Do you um, uh, burn his objectives as soon as you grab them? No, it depends on the game. Uh, if, yeah. it's, if it's someone where I know that they're on their turn, they're going to take it back. Then yeah, absolutely steal, uh, hold, uh, take it. But if it's against someone where I just know that they're not going to take it back, I'll hold it for a little while. I know. mean, like if you put forty chain wraps, if you're able to take one of their objectives by putting forty chain wraps on it, you're like, fuck it, he's not going to be able to take this from me. I'll hold it for a turn. Like I could even survive a double turn with forty chain wraps on here. Yeah, and However, then you'll just hold it because every turn you hold it, you get even more points. So exactly. And, and um, you know, as a counter to this then, with my OBR army, I play very differently. So, you know, I would probably put, you know, a small unit of chain rasps right here. Actually, I would put them just flat out on the objective, um, you know, quite frankly. And then I would put, you know, maybe uh, a hero as that longer triangle in the top left, or long, longer rectangle, rather. And then uh, probably, uh, you know, kind of a heavy unit right here. But what I've been doing lately, especially with the Catacrosian Deathclave, is I've essentially been, uh, you know, putting, say, a big unit of Mortech and a Harvester right here, uh, kind of up in the front to hold, you know, one objective solidly, maybe put it out so it can, it can kind of help out to the back objective if there's Deep Strikers. But then what I do is I put this Catacrosian Deathclave basically right there, like, on the line. 
And it, usually it's just a little bit off from the objective, but enough to score it so that I know that something behind it can end up coming through. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because earlier, uh, you know, uh, Garrett, you had mentioned to John that this one, you're only 18 inches away from your opponent. So with a Catacrosian Deathglaive, um, I, I would, depending on if I get first turn or second turn, or if my opponent knows what's going to happen and deploys far, like a lot more conservatively and not on the front line, um, you know, my stalkers are going to have a six inch move normally, plus three inches. Then uh, I'll use hunt and kill, so they'll reroll failed charges. And then my, uh, and with the six inch additional move before the the, before the first battle round. So that's that's quite a bit. You know, that's going to be... Um, uh, 15 inches. Uh, that's 15 inches with a re-rollable charge, and they're going to be possibly three inches away from their opponent. Uh, you add another three inches there, and it's 18 inches for the... Uh, for the no, uh, 15 you know, is with the extra three. It's nine plus six is 15. No, I, yes. No, no, that's correct. What I mean to say is it's going to be 18 inches with the Harbringers instead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have fly, so they can move over... And they charge 3D6. And they charge 3D6 inches. So you have an incredible threat zone with the Catacrosian Deathglade to even even get to the back end of his uh, of his unit. So it's an incredibly threatening thing. So that's why I would put it in a way so that I can either go straight up the board and go like a lawnmower or even hit the side that they might not be expecting me to do. Mm. So, uh, and that's really not a lot of armies will have those very, very fast units. I mean, uh, first things that come to mind are, you know, Night Haunt or the Catacrosian Deathglaive or uh, probably Lumineth when they come around. But uh, Slanesh is a great example of someone who can speed up the uh, unit, an army that can speed up the table like that. And, um, and, and Corn in, on occasion as well. Um, there's there's a lot of good benefits. Oh, of course, Deepkin actually would, would excel at this as well. So that's just my mind, my thought process here, especially when we talk a lot about this type of, of mission, you know, being able to hold those front objectives, and especially in this particular matchup, if I were to bring, say, my, uh, my typical OBR list lately, you would hit these objectives. And again, if you know that you're going to get wiped out on the objective, you know, it, let's say the Catacrosian Deathglaive comes right over here and and just completely annihilates the units here. That's only eight models on that objective now, or maybe even less if they took some casualties. Yeah, if you just have to put nine models just yeah. run up. Don't even bother charging. Well, take well, well, what I mean to say is, say my opponent then has uh, a unit, like, say, 40 clan rats and three storm fiends, you know, right here. I know that they can come over and just take that objective from me, no matter what. And they'll be able to bar me down and probably slowly whittle away at the death blade. So I would steal that objective immediately. And now they have a flank that they don't have to, that, that, that they don't necessarily have to get to. So they're probably going to start putting more attention over here as my Mortech guard move forward, which means that in a way, and I really hope our listeners check out the, uh, the, the video, because then the objective that's in this quadrant is free and clear for the most part, unless they have, say, a Nahal net nearby and they jump over. And that's just Skaven in particular. But in, uh, some, uh, some other armies, if I were to kind of bait and switch in this way, won't even have the ability to get to that objective realistically without having to deal with me being in there uh, on another flank of theirs in, in just a turn. Uh, that's very nice. Very tricky. Very solid, Alex. I like it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just thought processes here. You know, it's really important to, to, to make sure that we, you know, share our findings. Uh, you know, are, are Again, there any other... Si well, similar to the last one, 
terrain can make a huge deal. Like, God forbid you got a big ass, oh, that's a line, uh, a big ass like terrain feature right here that can prevent stuff like this pushing up. Um, well, or, with the you, you know, with the yeah, you, you can you can ignore terrain, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like clan rats, like John's clan rats wouldn't be able to just push right on, he's having to do this. Yep. and go around the objective so terrain can make huge changes to your deployment creating bottlenecks um like things like terrain right there can create a bottleneck uh you know terrain on objectives or near objectives can cause you to not be able to screen objectives as much as you would want um so that's that's another thing to watch out for is how the terrain will affect your deployment where because you're you're I mean, as all as every single one of us has said, whether as Alex, even you're still going to be spread out no matter what. Like Alex had a bunch of dudes over here and a bunch of dudes over here, and if you had a big piece of terrain separating that, he's kind of split half either way. Um, so this mission will split your army, similar to the last one, merely because there's eight objectives to score and you're hitting so many flanks and defending so many flanks. Exactly, which proves the point that you want to be able to have the ability to have an army that can be split up without mm -hmm. you losing effectiveness. Yeah, like sure. my city, my current cities list is so giant death ball-y and it would struggle on this uh, mission because it's like outside of my like giant death ball of doom, it does a, it would, it would basically have one big unit that would be like right here and I'd have like a skeleton crew back here and then that's all I really got. And so it would be very frust it'd be very hard to uh, work this mission from all the angles from the person who like Nighthawk could just teleport and screw over a lot of things. So Yeah. No, I see that. I see that. Uh, you know, that's again, there's so many different perspectives here and without having terrain, there's only so much we can do. And I now have the judgmental eyes of Vincent Morgado upon me oh, right now. Geez. Which uh, probably means that we have to wrap things up. Uh, you know, we weren't able to get to all the missions we had, but hey, we're all on quarantine and uh, we'll be able to tell you guys a little bit more about, you know, Star Strike and Places of Arcane Power and how we might be able to best, uh, you know, think about our deployments in those missions next week instead. And of course, we'll probably have the French Overlord to help us out here. Uh, yep. in, the in fact, for just a matter of fact, our original plan was to do 12 of the missions. We'll see if we get through 12, but we're probably if doing we get a three four. Yeah, well, I said, we're probably <laughs> doing a, a three week series as it sits. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Likely it is going to be three weeks for sure. Um, in the meantime, though, yeah, uh, as John had mentioned and as Garrett had mentioned, uh, a lot of our listeners, you guys are going to be able to take a lot of this and work with it. But a lot of the visuals in this latter half of the episode, you really will need to see the actual uh, recording of the episode. Plus, you'll see my green screen fall, which was great real fun uh so if you guys want to we can you can definitely check out at wide world gaming uh, on youtube and give us a subscribe a like uh tell us what you might want to see especially visually or even uh what you want to see as a background for us you know as we're continuing with this um john send me custom backgrounds there you go and john of course you uh are also sharing these uh, recordings as well uh what, what's your handle on youtube on YouTube, it is uh, my channel is Zez Tuku, Zez Tuku on YouTube. Perfect, perfect. And maybe eventually, when we all got our computers up and running, or rather, I have my computers up and running, um, I'll be able, we'll be able to get the C-SPAN of tabletop gaming, you know, uh, tabletop uh, uh, simulator going. As long as we can get Caspian to Caspian too, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
the or just number eight you know the ocho the ocho, ocho. there we go yeah yeah, we'll get the anything Schwartz you... in here with us, and anything's possible. Wonderful. Right. <laughs> Garrett, you got anything to plug? Stay safe, people. Stay inside. Wash your fucking hands. Great. Wash you... your fucking hands. <laughs> you guys have a good night. Night, everyone. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.